We're going to continue our Acts study. We're going to continue actually to work our way through the amazing sermon of Peter in Acts. We're in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 21 this morning. If you want to turn there in your Bibles. I want to read you a couple of quotes though. The first one is from John Phillips. John Phillips wrote several books and he writes commentaries and things. He, he said this. He said, Calvary was a crime of such magnitude that God could have justly ushered in the apocalypse at once and wiped out the human race. Instead, he inserted into human history an age of grace, a time of the church, something not foreseen by the Old Testament prophets. It is this age that we are in now that has begun, a time when the severity of God is being held back by the salvation of God. I want to read you one other. I read this quote to the uh, Wednesday night uh, study group. This one's from A.W. Tozer. You may know him. He said, a real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one whom he's never seen. Talks every day in a familiar way to someone he still cannot see. Expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another. Empties himself in order to be full. Admits he's wrong so he can be de declared right, goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he's weak, riches when he's poor, happiest when he's at his worst. He dies so that he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so that he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which surpasses all knowledge. I, I bring these quotes to you because we're going to, where we land here this morning in Acts chapter 22 is Peter's sermon on who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. Remember that, that he's talked about from Joel, he's talked about the, the Spirit of the Lord pouring out on all people, and, and now he's going to talk about who Jesus is. So at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 21. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about this patriarch, David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing that what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. 
So let's, let's again, kind of go back to context first. Remember, just last week we studied Joel, just the first part of Peter's sermon. He talked about Joel, and he talked about the Spirit of the Lord being poured out on all believers. All believers, young, old, rich, poor, uh, educated, uneducated, everyone has the, poor, the, the Spirit of the Lord poured out on them. And he used the, this quote from Joel because it was known by the rabbis and, and, and the scholars and the Jews that were there, they all knew this was about the Messiah. This was about the Christ. And so he used this, and, and, and now we have this next section where he says, now this is, what, this is who this Christ is. This is who Jesus is. I also want you to keep in mind that most of the people that are gathered here were probably there for the, for the trial, the beating, and the crucifixion of Jesus. Why do I say that? Well, remember, this is, this is the festival season. This is Passover to first fruits. This is Passover to un, Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, to Pentecost, the day when the, when the Torah was given, the day when the law was given, to first fruits. So this is a time when Jews from all over the world would come to Jerusalem. And so they were literally here when Jesus was crucified. This crowd that Peter is talking to here probably saw with their own eyes and heard with their own ears everything that happened to Jesus. So when, when Paul or, or Peter here says that, that all of these things about Joel and about this, this great quote from Psalm 16, he's talking to people who were there. And he tells them first, it was attested to you by God. He says, he says it was attested to you by God by these miracle signs and wonders. They have no excuse, no excuse. They saw these things happen. They heard these things happen. They, they experienced Jesus. They experienced not only his trial and his beating and his crucifixion, but they experienced, chapter 1 told us, that Jesus was walking around for 40 days. They experienced the risen Christ. So they have no excuse. Peter gives them no excuse. He was attested to you by God. And he uses three specific things, miracles, wonders, and signs. Miracles is a word that, that, uh, that literally means a powerful, supernatural happening. Now, there are 36 recorded in the Gospels, 36 miracles recorded in the Gospels. Although in John chapter 20, John tells us there were many more that weren't recorded. He, he said he wrote these so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing have life in his name. So there's more, but this is what's recorded, these 36. Jesus turned water into wine. He walked on water. He calmed the sea. He multiplied fishes and loaves. He healed the sick. He cleansed lepers. He gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. He raised the dead, and he turned prostitutes and blasphemers and simple fishermen into preachers. They have all seen with their own eyes what Jesus has done. And so he gives them no excuse. And then it talks about wonders and signs. Now, wonders and signs is used quite often in, in the book of Acts, and it always is a direct relationship to God. Miracles, you know, sometimes the miracles can say, well, okay, he was, 
he didn't, he, he was blind and now he can see, but maybe his sickness went away or something. But, but signs and wonders, these are directly related to God. And, and so what he's talking about here is these people have seen when Jesus was crucified at noon, the sky went dark for three hours. They saw that. They experienced that. They have just, on this day, just before Peter stands up, they have seen, they have heard the rushing wind. They have seen the tongues of flame coming down on the believers. They have witnessed all of these disciples speaking languages they didn't know. They have seen the signs and the wonders. They have no excuse. They have known what, what Jesus has done. They know who Jesus is. But he does give them an out because he says this was all God's plan. He says this was God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge. God knew this was going to happen. They were used by God in this plan, even to the point of turning him over, turning Jesus over to lawless people to be nailed to the cross and killed, as, as Peter says. You know, we actually have to go way back and understand that God knew this from the get-go. He knew this when he created Adam and Eve. He knew that as soon as he gave them free will, they would choose sin. He knew when you and I were given free will, we would choose sin. And we have, haven't we? We have. God, all the way back in Genesis 3, says the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The serpent will, will bruise his heel, but he will crush the head of the serpent. So God had this plan all along. Isaiah talked about it. In Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, we knew this had to happen. Jesus told his disciples again and again and again that this was the course that he was set on. This was the plan of God. The disciples didn't want to believe it, but, they, but Jesus told them. So all of this that these people have just witnessed isn't, uh, isn't something fantastic that they couldn't have expected because everybody has said it was gonna. God has a plan, and he will use anyone and anything he needs to to complete his plan. He will even use the ungodly. He will even use the lawless people that, that, are, that are talked about here in this passage. He will use the lawless people. He will even use you to complete his plan. Even you. Even me. God has a plan and he will follow it through. These people were part of the plan of redemption. Now, understand, they're part of this plan, but they couldn't have stopped it. It's not like they could have done something that could have stopped God's plan because God's plan will not be stopped. Now, I think that's good news for us. And here's why I think that. Our world is a mess. Mankind is broken. But God's plan will not be thwarted. God's plan will continue. God's plan will happen. And he will use anyone and anything he needs to, to complete his plan. 
And, and probably my favorite statement in here, it's, it's, uh, it was the, our memory verse this week, God raised Jesus from the dead because it was not possible to be held by death. We have our hope in Jesus because of this statement right here. Because we know that Jesus could not be held by death. But what I want you to understand, what if you hear nothing else of my sermon today, hear this, you cannot be held by death either. As a Christian, as a believer in Christ, you cannot be held by death. The grave cannot hold you any more than it held Jesus. It cannot hold you. And then he, then he gives us a quote from David. Now, when, in Acts, quite often you see this quote from David, and that means Psalms, because David wrote so many of the Psalms. It, it usually refers us back to a psalm. And this is Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. Now, if you look at Psalm 16, it's a plea from David. David's in, in, in this terrible mess. If you remember the, the life of David, he is, he's being chased by enemies constantly. His, his enemies are his, were his best friends. His enemies are even his own sons. I mean, everybody's chasing David. And so David calls out in Psalm 16, and God saves him from all of that. And they, the, the rabbis and the, and the theologians uh, uh, of the day, they understood that David was talking about David here. But then he has this line about his, his flesh lying in hope and his, his body not being left in Hades or, or Sheol, and, and that confused the, the Jewish theologians and the rabbis. They didn't know who he was talking about. Because remember, not all of the Jewish faith believes in a life after death. And so some of them thought this was, this was David going to be re resurrected. Others of them thought, well, there is no resurrection, so I don't know what this is talking about. So what does Peter do? Peter stands up. The, the simple fisherman stands up and shows them, shows the theologians and the rabbis and the scholars, he shows them how this works. He shows them what's, what Psalm 16 is all about. It does apply to David. God, was, God did save David. He became king. It's also applying to the Messiah because the Messiah was resurrected and everybody, all this crowd knew it. They'd seen him. They had seen him walking around for 40 days. They had seen him coming in and out of their lives for 40 days. So, so Peter says it, it, was, it was partially fulfilled in David. It's completely fulfilled in Jesus. Because Jesus could not be held by the grave. I want to read you this, this portion of Psalm 16 again. And I just want you to close your eyes and just hear. Just hear this. I saw the Lord ever before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades or, or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with your gladness in your presence. That promise of Psalm 16, it applied to David. It applied to Jesus. And now it applies to you. Now that's yours. 
Now you and I can, can, can have this psalm and say, this is, this is for me. I see the Lord ever before me, which, which is, is kind of a statement that says he's leading me and I trust him to lead me. It's, there's a, an element of trust in that. And so what does that mean that Jesus is leading you? Well, it means that if you're in hard times, Jesus led you there and is going through them with you. In fact, he's going through them before you. He is leading us. And then we have this amazing statement that, that he says is, that he's at my right hand. Now, there's two different ideas of at my right hand. In the Jewish faith, that we get the right-hand man from the idea that's in the Jewish faith. That's someone that can be fully trusted, that's always there for you, can be always counted on. My right-hand man. That's the Jewish idea. The Roman idea is this is where the bodyguard stood. If, if, a body, if you had someone that needed a bodyguard, he would stand to the right of the person he was guarding because he had a shield on his left arm and a sword in his right hand. And so he could shield the person that he was guarding and still fight. Jesus is all of this to us. He is not only the one we can constantly count on, He's not only our right-hand man, he is our shield and our sword. He's fighting the battle for us. He's fighting the battle with us. And then it says, my flesh will rest in hope. Jesus went to the grave knowing he wasn't going to stay there. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about Jesus went, he died knowing death wasn't going to hold him. He went to the tomb knowing the tomb wasn't going to hold him. He, he knew he was coming out of there when he went in. And Christian, you can know that too. We have this promise for us today. Psalm 16, these verses that Peter talks about, uh, applying them to Jesus, it goes from David to Jesus to you. You and I have the Lord ever before us. You and I have the Lord at our right hand, shielding us and fighting our war with us. We have this promise. Verse 29 takes us from David to the Messiah. Peter says, David's dead. And we all know he's dead. Now remember, they're in Jerusalem. That's where David's tomb is. So, so he's, I can just picture in my head, I can see Peter saying, we all know we all know David's dead. His tomb's right there. Where's the tomb of Jesus? Empty. It's an empty hole in the ground. So you see how he's, he's showing this, this contrast of, of the, the tomb of David where all of these people, all of the Jews had been. They revered David. They almost worshipped David. And so they'd been to this tomb and, and in, where's the tomb of Jesus? Well, it's an empty hole in the ground. No, I, I don't know. It's that way someplace. It's empty. He's, he's drawing this, this, this contrast between the tomb of David that is full and the tomb of Jesus that is empty. So what are the, what are the, the main points of this? Well, I will start with everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be 
saved. The second thing, God has a plan, and he is working that plan, and he will use anyone and anything to complete that plan. His plan cannot be stopped. His plan cannot be thwarted. He will use whoever and whatever he needs to finish his plan. And the last part, the part I really want you to hear if you hear nothing else today, this section of Psalm 16 applies to you. It applied to David, whom God saved. It applied to Jesus, whom God saved and resurrected. And it applies to you, whom God saved and will resurrect. We have the Lord always before us. We have the Lord always at our right hand. We have this promise. I want you, I want you to pray with me, and we're just going to pray this section. We're going to pray this part of Psalm 16 together. So would you bow your heads with me? Say this to God today. I saw the Lord ever before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness at your presence. Did you pray that this morning? Have you claimed Psalm 16 is yours this morning? The promises here? Maybe this morning you need the first verse. You need everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That, that means you. That means you. You're part of everyone. And so if you've never accepted Christ, it can be right now. You can have the promises of Psalm 16 right now. Simply pray along with me in your own words and say, God, I know I have sin in my life. I chose sin, just like you said I would. I've done things wrong. I thought things wrong. I've said things wrong. And I know that's sin. But I trust that Jesus went to the cross to pay my price. That he paid my price for my sin. So that I'm, I might be restored to relationship with you. Fill me with your spirit. That I might know that you are before me and at my right hand, that I might know the joy that's described in these verses. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, you need to let somebody know. Let me know. Elbow your neighbor and let them know. Christian, this morning, if you know Christ, then you know Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, are yours to keep. Will you claim them? Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for 
this passage that, that applied to David, that applied to Jesus, and now applies to us. Guide us. Be our, our right-hand man. Guide us through the paths of life. Give us this joy. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.